0: Wonderful to be up here in the privileged position of open up God's word for you guys this morning. Uh, I'm going to try my best to keep us to time, but if we go five minutes over today, I know that can be a distraction sometime, running late, looking at our watches, but it wasn't worth it this morning to hear from our brother, um, Adam, and hear what God's been doing in his life. I feel privileged this morning to be standing up with God's word after hearing such glory. Open up your Bibles, Uh, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 16 as we continue the story. We're going to be covering the whole chapter this morning, uh, but I'm going to read just the first 12 verses for us. Friends, this is the Word of God. Exodus 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. "...against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, "...would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much As they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble? Against us. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this morning, as your people, we come with a great hunger. And that hunger is that we need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray in the preaching of your word this morning, you'd fill us. You would fill us to the full with the sweetest of words, your words. Lord, give us receptive hearts this morning. Help us to have ears that are ready to hear and obey you, Lord, because we love you. And we pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to start with a bit of a story from the archives of Charlotte and I. Um, It's some years ago when uh, we'd been dating about nine months, we were already engaged, and my beautiful then fiancé, now wife, had organised a lovely birthday dinner for me. Uh, In fact, she'd organised specially a dinner for us at the revolving restaurant at Centrepoint Tower. And she'd gone to one of... Uh, Or great efforts to make the whole evening really lovely. And this story doesn't really reflect very well on me. I'm just giving you a sort of upfront warning. It's not one of my finest moments at all. It started when we were getting dressed to get ready, and I was at her place waiting for her to get dressed, and I felt she had been getting, well, was a bit slow in getting dressed, (laughs) and I was getting irritated. I made the decision that we would drive in, I would drive in, Charlotte was the navigator, and we found ourselves, obviously, heading into the CBD, as one does on a Saturday evening, stuck in traffic in the city. Uh, As we moved further past the reservation time, I find myself getting more, well, irritated. At one point, I hadn't understood her instructions, and I missed the car park turn-off, and found that I had, in fact, rejoined the traffic queue again, making us further late for the reservation and myself getting more irritated. We made it to the restaurant, the 360-degree restaurant, and we found that they had, in the booking, misread the voucher and were informing us that they perceived the voucher was only dinner for one. By the time we finally found our way to our seats and sat down, the coup de grace was that the rotation of the restaurant made me feel, throughout the meal, slightly ill. (laughs) Now, was I thankful to be enjoying a night with my soon-to-be beautiful wife? No, I will let you know that I spent the night grumbling. And so much so that soon as Charlotte arrived back home in the quiet of her parents' home in her room, she burst into tears because she felt the night had been a disappointment to me. Grumbling. Now, I would like to think uh, think that I've grown since then, uh, that I've improved in my grumbling, but I wish to inform you this morning that I still have some pet peeves. Um, and I thought I might list some of them for you this morning. First of all, people who turn left at Lucinda onto the Pacific Highway, moving to the freeway contrary to the traffic signs and causing a large queue. (laughs) I find myself often grumbling. Putting plastic bags and electronic devices in the common recycling. Uh, Leaving trolleys at the front of my place. Slow drivers of whom it feels that there's many in my neighborhood bad parkers. Here's the worst. People who ask to skip ahead of you in the queue in Audi because they have one item, only to then find that the one item is a complicated return. <laughs> Grumbling. We live in a generation of unprecedented prosperity, don't we? Joking aside. And it's to meet someone who has to go without food or clothing in this neighborhood, that's for sure. And we expect to be able to attend university, get a job. That's our expectation. We can often feel entitled to things that a previous generation would have considered luxuries. It's the age of high-speed internet. We expect immediate gratification. And the fruit of that is that we can find ourselves rarely pausing to thank God and to thank others. More, we can find ourselves often grumbling. And I've got a little bit of a confession this morning. As I come this morning, I'm a, I need to hear this most of all for myself. We went out again, because it's my birthday tomorrow, to a really uh, a fancy restaurant, a fancier restaurant than I would normally uh, go to. But we had a, a collection of gift vouchers from very generous friends. And it came to the end of the night when we were paying the bill, and, um, and I thought, oh, this is great. It's going to cost us nearly nothing, such as the generosity of our friends. And the uh, wait stuff informed me, oh, we don't accept those vouchers in this restaurant. <laughs> so I feel doubly ill this morning. I feel ill because I ate way too much last night, and I feel ill because I'm thinking about paying for the meal that we just had. <laughs> so I need to hear this word this morning. You know, joking aside, it occurred to me this week that the opposite of a grumbling person, a complaining person, is a grateful person. Here's a tough question. What would those who know you best describe you as? I'm not talking about people you occasionally see around the place. I'm talking about those who know you best, your wife, your husband, your kids, your closest friends, would they describe you as a grateful person? Do you regularly express gratitude to God and to others? Well, the message this morning is entitled, for those to take notes, Bread from Heaven. And I really have two simple points this morning, but one take home that I'm going to be working at plugging time and time again, and that is this. That humble gratitude... Is the right response to God's abundant provision? One more time. Humble gratitude is the right response to God's abundant provision. That's where we're going. Well, let's dive into the passage this morning with our first point. Uh, point number one, which I've entitled, and it's probably going to be no surprise uh, having read that section this morning, Grumbling in the Wilderness. Point number one. Well, last week uh, we saw uh, Patrick did a wonderful job uh, opening up God's word, having saved God's people from the cruelty of Egypt through ten plagues and dividing the Red Sea, that God doesn't lead them straight into the promised land. He leads them into the wilderness. And last week we saw the people of God thirsty and crying out to God as they arrive at the bitter waters of Mara. Well, why is God doing that? Why did he bring them to that place? Well, our series is called, as you'll see behind me, uh, Drawn Out to Draw In. And the thing that we've been plugging away uh, every week is that God draws his people out of darkness to draw them into the knowledge of himself. And God had drawn his people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt, sorry, Israel out of Egypt, but they barely know him at all. There's been no revelation at Mount Sinai yet. There's been no Ten Commandments, no covenant, no tabernacle. They've seen miracles, but they don't really know Yahweh yet. And so God is going to help them to get to know him through the wilderness. And as Patrick showed us last week, Israel had arrived at the University of the Wilderness. As uh, Charles Spurgeon said, it's the Oxford and the Cambridge for God's students. And Israel were freshly minted. They were bright-eyed, nervous-looking, first-year university students, full of enthusiasm and self-assured from their success in the Egyptian school certificate, but largely ignorant of the things that they had yet to learn. And here they would be taught. Here they would be trained. Here they'd receive their degree before entering into the Promised Land. And so far... It has not been a positive start. After three days wandering the vast desert wilderness, celebration in chapter 15 had turned into panic as they discovered that they had no water. And they finally come to the water at Marah, where they find it's undrinkable and bitter and so they complain, what will we drink? And Moses cries out to God, makes the water sweet and announces their very first lesson. And that is that if you will listen to the voice of your God and carefully obey what he says, God will look after you. Then he leads them to Elim, where there is an abundant supply of water and they see the faithfulness of God. And Yahweh's first lesson has ended. But their schooling has only just begun. Won't you read again with me verse 1 of our passage, chapter 16. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. They leave the plentiful waters of Elim, and they come to the wilderness of Sin. Now, for some of you sitting there, you're probably rubbing your hands together and thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting, the wilderness of Sin, because... Maybe it's called sin because there's going to be lots of simple things that take place, but that is not the case. Sin is probably related to Sinai. Mount Sinai, or Sinai, is where the mountain of God is, and sin is probably the wider region of the area. And It's the 15th day of the second month after leaving Egypt, which is significant because it's exactly two months into their journey, and rations are beginning to run low. Well, how do they respond to their need? Do they fast and pray? Do they ask God, God, do it again, help us? We read in verse 2 that it says that the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. Just as they grumbled at Marah when they tasted the bitter water, so again now they grumble, except it's become worse. Notice what it says. The whole congregation of the people of Israel. This grumbling has got out of control. The whole congregation. Two million people are now together in unison grumbling. And such is the extent of their grumbling that in this short passage, in these 12 verses, the word grumbling is repeated eight times. They grumbled, they grumbled, they grumbled, they grumbled. And the good news is that next week, the grumbling will be back again. (laughs) Read on with me, verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Look what they say. It's absolutely ludicrous. They've gone from praising God to now looking back on their time in Egypt with these crazy, farcical, rose-colored glasses. It would have been better off if we were still slaves in Egypt. More than that, they now turn just two months into their journey and accuse Aaron and Moses of plotting homicide. They accuse them. They say, your intention to bring us out here was to murder us in the wilderness. It's crazy. It's ludicrous. It's ungrateful. But how does this happen? How does witnessing such glory in the cloud, in the pillar of fire, in the amazing plague, so quickly turn to ingratitude and grumbling? Well, Don Carson, uh, in an article, puts it so helpfully. He says this, Why should people who have witnessed so spectacular a display of the grace and power of God slip so easily into muttering and complaining, and slide so gracelessly into listless disobedience? The answer lies in the fact that many of them see God as existing to serve them. He served them in the Exodus. He served them when he provided clean water. Now he must serve not only their needs, but their appetites. Otherwise, they're entire, entirely prepared to abandon him. When, God, when Moses has been insisting to Pharaoh that the people needed to retreat into the desert in order to serve and worship God, the people themselves think God exists to serve them. Did you catch that? Why do they so quickly slip into grumbling and complaining? It's because they believe God exists to serve them. But look how gracious God is with them. Read with me verse 4. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God says to Moses, I'm going to make it rain. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. I'm going to abundantly feed my people. People will gather a day's supply every day. The purpose is to test them. Another lesson. Will they follow my instruction or not? Their second lesson in the university of the wilderness is to trust the instruction of Yahweh even when they don't understand And so we read on in verse 6, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Moses and Aaron explained to God's people, God's going to feed you meat tonight, just to satisfy you now, and then in the morning, bread. And in the morning, you'll know that Yahweh is with you, that he delivered you. You'll see his glory revealed, and you will eat to the fill. But what are you doing grumbling about us? Aaron and I, Moses says, we're just men. We haven't brought you here. We didn't save you. And we're not the ones providing for you. Your grumbling isn't actually about us or against us. It's against God. You know, it's so easy to consider Grumbling, complaining, whinging, gossiping—as minor sins, we call it venting or debriefing or sharing prayer points or unloading. Almost as that it's something a person needs to do, and it's virtually a harmless thing. Our Aussie culture—you know—often we take shots at leaders all the time. We're keeping them humble. We're keeping them humble. And Moses says something here that is true, not just of the Israelites, but for all people at all times. And that is that grumbling is against the Lord. How is grumbling against the Lord? How does that work? Well, either directly or indirectly, grumbling, it accuses God of unfaithfulness and unkindness. Grumbling says, God, you've not provided for me. You favored this person. You failed me. You're not working for my good. You're neglecting me. You're harming me. You're withholding the best from me. You don't care about me. More, as we've seen, it treats God as though he exists to serve us and not the other way around. Now, I just want to make it a side note. There's nothing wrong with bringing a complaint. I mean, occasionally that's important, to, to lovingly, respectfully, with trusting God, bring a complaint to someone. That's not what this is about. Grumbling's different from this. Grumbling occurs when, when grumbling occurs. It's the faithful, merciful, powerful, all-wise, loving God who's absent from the picture. Grumbling, either directly or implicitly, maligns the character of God. It slanders him. And this is exactly what is happening in our passage. Indirectly accusing God of bringing them into the desert to commit homicide, to murder them. That's what they're saying. My point is this grumbling in the life of a Christian, it's not a minor sin. It's a serious one because it impugns and maligns the character of God. But behold, the patient forbearance of God with his people. He's determined to teach them. And so we read in verse 9 the following It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. As Aaron and Moses begin uh, talking, the attention of the people of God is suddenly drawn back towards the wilderness and the pillar of uh, of cloud that was before them. And the glory of Yahweh appears to them in the cloud. You see, God's glory is his unparalleled majesty and worth, his supreme value and power, which is far beyond anything in existence. Just like the sun sometimes reflects off water, so too does God occasionally reveal glimpses of this glory. And we're not told what they saw in that cloud. Was it thunder and lightning? Was it fire? Was it light? Was it darkness? Were they suddenly filled with a sense of the divine presence? We're not told. But what we're told is that immediately it captures their attention and God repeats his promises to Moses. I will feed them to the full with bread in the morning and meat in the evening. What grace God meets To their grumbling. And that's our first point. Grumbling in the wilderness is met with grace. But not just point one, point two, our second point, and that is abundant provision from heaven. You see, God does more than promise provision that evening he delivers. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 says the following. It says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone, up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake like thing, fine as the frost in the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded gather of it, each one of you as much as he can eat you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent god meets their immediate hunger by causing quail to flood the camp that evening think about the volume of quail in this instance for 2 million people And yet God, in his abundant provision, rains quail all around the campsite. Then in the morning, when the dew had lifted, a fine, flake-like substance is left. Verse 31 says it was like coriander seed, white, and tasted like wafers made with honey, or that is, date syrup. They called it manna, which is probably like calling it in English something like thingy majig, or whats the ma called equivalent in English. And we're so well fed here in the 21st century, I think we probably find it hard to appreciate the amazing provision of God here. You know, I hear quail and I think, yeah, a bit gamey. Uh, I'd prefer chicken. And wafer's made with honey. Makes me think, that's kind of sounds a bit sickly sweet, even for a sweet tooth like me. We're the obesity generation, where we struggle to lose weight, not to put it on, and where we have an oversupply of sugary foods and produce at our ready. And most of us have access to meat for most meals, so we don't even batten an eyelid about it. Not so much in the world where most meals are made of vegetables and grains and where meat is a special treat, like it was for them. You know, prior to the 18th century, like the 1700s, sugar was extremely hard to find, and so sweet foods were largely a luxury item for the rich. To discover something sweet was like tasting the most amazing food you could possibly imagine. Now imagine this. You've been slowly eating through your rations in the desert for the past two months. You're looking around and there's two million other people, and you're not seeing many options for food whatsoever, and suddenly you're provided with a meal of meat and sweet bread. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is abundant provision. But remember, God has his people in the university of the wilderness. The provision of the manna comes with very specific instructions. God is teaching them. And so they are to gather only a day's rations for each person in a family. One omer, which is probably around two liters of manna per person. And you read this and you think, okay, that's not a big test, no big deal, right? The problem is we've got so much food, we don't grasp the challenge in this. These are poor subsistence farmers by and large. If you depend on gathering food to live and have a harvest available, what's the most natural thing to do? It's you're going to go out and you're going to gather as much as you can and you're going to store it. How can you be sure you'll have something to eat the day after. God could have said, gather as much manna as you can and keep a manna bank. I'll top it up so you'll always have plenty. God could have said that. God could have given them manna even before they were hungry and grumbled. But he didn't. God said to his hungry people, you're going to go out and collect just enough for one day. And you're not going to leave any leftovers for the next day. You're going to finish it all, and it's going to be a daily test. God miraculously even controls their harvesting of manna as well in the passage so that the measure at the end of the day, everyone has just the right amount, regardless of how much they gather. Notice, though, it doesn't say just enough to tide you over for one day. Verse 18 says that God provides as much as they could eat. A miraculous, abundant provision. You see, God is teaching his people to trust him each and every day for provision. The manna was to be a daily reminder of God's abundant provision for his people each and every day. Day by day by day. Verse 35 says that the people actually continued this rhythm of daily collecting manna for 40 years until they arrived in the Promised Land. But God's people were slow to trust him. Jump forward with me to verse 20. It says the following. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Some people thought, okay, well, just in case, we won't eat all of it, but we'll keep a little in storage in case there's none in the morning. In other words, I know God said, but we need a little backup plan here on the side. And God, in his kindness, made it so it bred worms and stank and exposed them as being disobedient. And Moses, it says, is furious with them. Interestingly, the only person who gets angry in this whole passage isn't God, but Moses. Israel clearly still had a long way to go in the wilderness university. Well, firstly, God provides both meat and manna, but secondly, God provides even more, he provides rest do not you read with me, uh, verse twenty-two in our passage? Says the following: On the sixth day, they gathered, gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, the leaders come to Moses, and you can imagine what they're saying. They're saying, "What's going on? We collected four leaders today." And we don't want you to get angry with us again, because seriously, we can't finish all of that. And Moses explains to them in verse 23, he says this. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. This is the very first time in our passage that the Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible. Later, God will give this as the fourth commandment at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word, which means to cease or to rest, and it's a pattern that follows God's work in Genesis of creating the world as he works six days and ceases on the seventh. God says tomorrow, that is Saturday, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Um, I like the way that a Bible scholar, Des Alexander, translates it. He says, Tomorrow is a time of inactivity, holy inactivity for Yahweh. God will provide double manna every Friday to ensure that his people could have Saturday to rest. A rest for the sake of Yahweh. A rest to rest and worship their God. Think about how beautiful. This would have been for a slave nation. Did they get a weekly day off as slaves in Egypt? Highly unlikely. Did they eat like kings? They definitely did not. And yet God is abundantly providing for his people again and again. Yet little surprise that God's people are again slow to trust him. Jump down to verse 27. It says the following. It says this, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each one of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Some people thought they might try and get ahead by going out to harvest a little manna on Saturday anyways. And you can feel their nervousness about the situation, can't you? And yet God says, the Sabbath is a gift from me. I'm giving you double so you can rest. God abundantly provides for his people, meat and manna, and a day of rest every single week. Isn't he kind? Isn't he gracious? Isn't he merciful? Behold your God's sovereign grace. And yet he didn't just provide for them then, 3,500 years ago. He continues to richly provide for his people today. You know, Jesus probably had our passage in mind when he taught his disciples to pray. He said in Matthew 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught his disciples to ask God for their daily bread, their daily manner, their provision for each and every day. God is the Father who knows what you need even before you ask. Jesus goes on and he says, Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to trust the God who knows our needs and is faithful to provide for all of them. But Jesus takes our passage from Exodus even further in John's Gospel. You see, in John's Gospel, Jesus I just performed the feeding of the 5,000. A great crowd follows him after the next day. And Jesus criticizes the crowd for missing what the miracle was all about, just being after a, and just being after a free feed. And then he says the following to them. He says in John six twenty-seven, Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, and they said to him, "'What must we do to be doing the works of God?' And Jesus answered them, "'This is the work of God, "'that you believe in him who sent me, whom he has sent.' So they said to him, "'Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? "'What work do you perform? "'Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, "'as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat.' Jesus then said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven.' But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is saying that God's abundant provision of bread for His people in the wilderness ultimately pointed to Himself. He is the true bread of life. Just as God sent bread from heaven to sustain His starving people, He sent forth His Son from heaven to sustain them forever, to rescue wicked, perishing people. The Lord Jesus' 40 days in the desert was to prove that, unlike us, He was the perfect student of the University of the Wilderness. The great message of the Bible is that this perfect God, man, Jesus, went to the cross to offer himself once and for all. And just like the bread we ate this morning, the bread of life was broken for us as he bore our sins on that cross. And he rose in victory and offers eternal life to all those who come and believe in him. He dwells by the Holy Spirit in the heart of every single person who comes to him in repentance and with faith. The difference is that Israel ate manna and eventually died and not a single one of those Israelites of that generation entered into the promised land. But with the true bread, you will never die. Friends, I trust this morning that you can see that God continues to abundantly provide. He knows what we need even before we ask him and he's provided us with Jesus. I just wanted to pause very briefly as we finish with a brief moment of application because you see here's the hard truth just like the Israelites in the wilderness we can forget God's abundant provision his faithfulness his goodness and we can begin to grumble to complain maybe it's about a spouse that she would listen to you more or that he would pursue you more maybe it's about your work, that wishing the the boss wasn't just such a jerk. Maybe it was about church that you wished you had better pastors or better ministries or, listening to this sermon, better preachers. Maybe it's about a living situation. If only you lived in your own house or relationship status, if only you were married or children, if only you could have them or if only they would respect you more. Friends, grumbling is a grievous sin because ultimately it's not against the personal situation, it's against God. We're accusing him of abandoning us. We're accusing him of withholding his best. We're accusing him of being our servant. We're accusing him of not working for our good. How can we do that to him when he's given us Jesus? Well, if you're sitting here this morning and the Holy Spirit is convicting you that this message is for you, I just want to give you a quick encouragement. You know, if you're grumbling, if you're aware that you've been grumbling and it revolves around a specific person, I want you to consider humbling yourself to confess your sin, firstly to God, and then to that person, and to ask for their forgiveness. For most of us, I feel, we're often blind in this, in a prosperous culture, to in the many and varied ways God has provided for us. You know, a practice that changed my life uh, was modeled to me by a friend, Janice Collins, um, in 2007, actually, when I found out that she'd been keeping a list of things she was thankful to God for each and every day. When was the last time you thanked God for a specific jacket or a specific meal? Just say, that meal was so tasty. Thank you, God, for that. Or for health, having good health. Or for a friend in some act of kindness or a work situation or an answered prayer or a promise of God that you've been reading. Just pause and thank you, God, that you're faithful. When was the last time you did that? I want to challenge you to follow an example of my friend Janice Collins and every day to write down at the end of the day as many things as you can think of that you're thankful to God for. And by the grace of Jesus... He will begin to work in you as you consider Christ first and the glories of Calvary to train you to become a grateful person. Well, in closing, though, the people of God grumbled in the wilderness. God provided abundantly for them with meat, manna, and a day of rest. Even more so, God has given us the true bread of our Lord Jesus. I hope that you've seen that humble gratitude is the right response to God's abundant provision when you join with me in praying. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much this morning for our Heavenly Father. As we've just heard this morning of the grumbling of Israel and in so many ways our similarities to them. And yet as we've seen this morning, the abundant generosity and kindness of God towards them. How he didn't judge them for their grumbling, but he lavished his grace. As we turn and we consider the bread of life who came and broke his body for us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow, to be ever, ever more a grateful people that send all the thanksgiving and praise rightly back to you, for you are abundantly generous. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.